Hey everyone, you found another episode of Exploring Kodawari. The topic for this episode was the science and craft of craft beer. It's a topic that fits perfectly with the Kodawari concept of the podcast in that it's an endless rabbit hole of knowledge and creativity. Seriously, there's way more that goes into brewing than you probably realize. Now, I've had plenty of experience with, you know, drinking beer, but neither Yanka or I have enough beer knowledge to do this topic justice. So we brought on our good friend, Johnny Labriola, to help us out. Johnny got into craft beer and home brewing around five years ago, and he's since worked at a few different breweries and really just, you know, fell headfirst into the, the craft beer rabbit hole. We talked about the science of brewing, that is, how to extract the good stuff from the malt, how to add various hops to beer, how fermentation works, as well as the art and skill of designing and implementing different beer recipes. That's where the fun creativity really comes in. We also got into the rich history that human beings have with beer, something that I think most people don't don't fully know about. And lastly, we brought it all together by um, tasting the same beer, uh, Bayer Republic's Racer 5 IPA. If you've never had it, it's a great West Coast style IPA. So we learned some details about how to do a formal beer tasting. It was a fun episode, and we definitely had a silly beer buzz going for it. All right, before getting to the episode, let me just remind you to check out our website where we have more and more articles going up each week. You can also sign up for our newsletter that goes out every two weeks. We send updates as well as inspiring quotes, YouTube videos, pretty much anything else that we find on the internet and want to share with you. And if you like what we're doing here and want to support our growth, please consider making a donation through the PayPal buttons on our website. Links to that are in the episode notes. That about does it. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. All right, Johnny, welcome to Exploring Cordawari. Hello. Thank you. Um, we'll get into where, oh, you got it in cans. Yeah. Nice. I'm closer to Wait, the source, baby. Is that version of it? I didn't know. Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, probably, is that a tall, tall boy 16 ounce can or? You know it. Nice. So we're drinking it out of a bottle. I've never seen the cans here on the East Coast. We're drinking Bear Republic Racer 5. We'll get into, uh, I think we'll do a tasting of that in a little bit. Can we first start with like, how the hell did you get into beer? How, how long ago? Like all, whatever version uh, of that story you want to tell. Sure. So it'll be real quick because the whole episode will basically cover it. Um, I got really into craft beer like five years ago, six years ago, right before my wedding. Um, and You did have great beer at your it, wedding. <laughs> We had great beer. I spent more money on the beer than on the food. <laughs> or the uh, ring. Or anything else. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah, oh, way more than the, on the ring. <laughs> and uh, I just, I, you know, the, it's, it's one of those rabbit holes that you go down. I tend to do that with any hobby. I can't just, like, make some bread or, you know, make a beer. I have to get all the fancy toys and, like, read too much about it and just dive too deep. And when I started doing that with beer, I noticed, like, this is an endless pool. Like, there's no bottom to this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you can just get as into it as you want. So I got I got really into the drinking of it. And then I got more interested in how it was made. And I realized it's something I could do at home. And I became a, definitely an obsessive home brewer. Uh, then I started working for breweries and uh, got into the industry a little. Started bartending. And now I work in production, helping out in the... Nice. At a pretty big production facility. What was the record you set? I don't know what if it's an actual record, but it certainly sounded like one when you said you brewed how many in one year, home brews? Yeah. So when I first started working in breweries, it was just bartending. And I kept saying, I want to work in production. I want to work in production. 
and uh, it's weird. People that say they want to work in craft beer, they tend to get treated like people that want to convert to Judaism, <laughs> uh, where you know they they famously turn you away. It's one of the few religions that isn't actively like trying to switch people to their side. They're but not I think desperate. Three times yeah. you get to, you get refused, but by the rabbi before he'll even consider it, and then it's a whole lot of work and study and all that. Um, so that tends to happen with beer because it's it's mostly cleaning. It's mostly cleaning crap and working with very dangerous chemicals. Right. And, you know, everyone has this idea that it's, you know, a guitar riff while the camera pans in slow motion and a bunch of guys with tattoo sleeves and beards are like dipping that, that long, uh, that long stick with the cup on the end in the tank and then pulling it out and then testing it and all just nodding at each other and looking at the yeah. bubbles. And it's like, that's, two minutes out of a 60 hour week. So many know? movies show it like that. Like you just see like the, yeah. the brewers are just always having a beer while working too, you know, and I'm sure that's not really a thing, right? Cause you'll. No, one, it's mostly illegal <laughs> yeah. in pretty much every state. And two, it's just not safe. You're working with like big equipment and dangerous stuff and you fuck up your chemical titrations. Like you can really ruin stuff or hurt yourself. Yeah. But that chemical can um, burn your skin off, right? Oh yeah, I've gotten a few chemical burns yeah. already. Um, but it's and also it's just any kind of physical job. If you start drinking during the day, you're gonna get tired and it's just it's exhausting, you know. So uh, I I was getting that response from people that I knew brewers and stuff like you don't want to do this. Like you're bartending, you make more than me as a bartender. You make more than me bartending than I do as a brewer. They would tell mm -hmm. me. And it's like, oh, I get to hang out in the air conditioning and talk about beer. Like you don't get to talk to anyone. You just hear loud machines going and you have to just get all the numbers right or everyone blames you right uh so so they tried to steer me away so i s decided i was gonna expose myself to as much beer as i can and see if i hated it by the end so i did 50 batches of homebrew in a year 55 gallon batches wow. uh which is just a number unless you've ever brewed before homebrewed it, you know a brew day is five six seven eight hours depending on the style of beer you're making um so it was pretty much once a week I was spending a whole one of my days off making beer. And uh, I w the plan at the end of the year is that I should, if I hate it, then I know not to stay in this industry. And if I was still into it, then I'm on the right track. And I was more into it at the end of the year than at the beginning. So that was a good test yeah. to do. Um, I mean, it's like music. Like people might think they want to be a rock star, right? But you tell them, well, you know, practice scales every day for a month and see if you still They're hate it. They're like scales, that's boring. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Or it's like, oh no, I just want to teach me smoke on the water. I want to be a rock, <laughs> I want to feel like a rock star. And it's like, well, you know, right. there's a lot I got more the to outfit it. So, already. <laughs> so I actually made more beer, I think, than I shouldn't say this, but more than you're legally allowed to homebrew. I think the federal limit is two hundred gallons a year per adult. Uh -huh. And I did like two hundred and fifty. <laughs> so uh but But I luckily mean, I you got rid it. of the evidence, right? <laughs> <laughs> As I was going, yeah, I never had more than like 10 gallons in the house, 15 gallons at a time. So I wasn't worried about getting pinched, but I see why they set that amount so high. It's really hard to make that much beer. In yeah. And when we visited you in North Carolina, at your old place. Um, there's always something cooking. <laughs> it was dangerous. There's beers everywhere. Yeah. yeah. The big glass jokes you keep it in. I think I had five going at one point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's awesome because I got to be drinking your beer while also looking at 
the fermenting beer under the towel. The next night's beer or something. Well, yeah. not quite next night's, but, you know, days, whatever. Uh, whatever. It was cool to see the varying processes all laid out right. in, in visually. Because normally, like, if you're not, if you're like I was before I thought about this at all, basically before you made me think about it, beer was what you get at the grocery store when you want to have a nice Friday night, you know. Right, and... And that's how I always thought of it. It's just like a product. Like, you know, some people are really into food or this or that. But, you know, the the cool thing about beer and any fermented beverage is it's it's living. Like, it's people tend to think of beer and treat it like it's a made good, like it's a license plate or a bicycle. But it's 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 a living thing. Like the you don't the something they used to say all the time is brewers don't really make beer. You make wort, which is the you know, we'll get into all that. But it's this sugary mix that you hop and. So you make the wort and then you turn it over to the yeast. The yeast is what makes it beer. Right. Wort tastes nothing like beer, has no alcohol. I mean, it tastes a little bit, but it has no alcohol in it. It's not really beer yet until the yeast does its thing. Is that the um, super sweet um, uh, liquid when you've extracted from the grain? Yeah. I think I tasted it when I brewed with you, right? I remember that, yeah. It tasted mm-hmm. like really sweet, like tea or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a bready tea. Yeah. Is, is I always find it tastes like a bread a, like a grain yeah. tea is that safe to drink is. yeah like if you had like um, a glass of it it is if it's fresh the problem is um if you don't put yeast in it other bacteria you can get botulism and some other things growing in it mm-hmm. um but it brewer's yeast is specifically designed to break down certain sugars ferment certain sugars that wild yeasts really can't so uh the part of the mash is to set those sugars up in the mash and then once you throw your yeast in there, it's going to, even if there is some bacteria, it pretty much outcompetes it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to just spread and take over the wart. So even if you have an infected beer with, you know, outside bacteria or whatever, it's it's not going to harm you. And can you have a um, coronavirus beer? <laughs> I don't think any viruses can live in beer. Yeah. Because the pH of beer is pretty low too. So that makes it fairly safe to drink. Right. What, how would you define, just for people who um, know beer but might not know craft beer or, you know, have a, a firm category for what that means, maybe even including myself, I, I know what a craft beer is, but I don't know where the line is. Is there a line or how do you how do you kind of define it? I mean, there are like hard and fast definitions for it, but I don't go by those. Uh, it, it's more if you, it's like anything, if you put a certain level of skill and care and you know, knowledge and appreciation for what you're making, then you can call it craft, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what what makes these craft cocktails or what makes this a craft hot dog stand? It's like, well, he makes all the hot dog sausage. Right, right. Like, he gets the tubing and makes it. Like, it's not a craft hot dog stand. It's like, those are those are Nathan's. I just saw the packaging. Yeah, yeah. And that's like Walmart brand bread. bread. It's just a hot dog then. Nothing wrong with that. But like, yeah. if you really, like, he makes his own buns. He makes all the toppings. It's like, okay, those sure, are craft yeah. hot dogs. So, with beer making um yeah i mean there's craft breweries that put out really awful stuff exactly uh, yeah you know we're or even and i you don't blame them some of them because it's a some it's a business they need to make money because well I, people buy the cider you know the ciders or the hard seltzers and that's what i make my money on then yeah now you're a hard seltzer brewery though that's half of your product going out and the other half of the is beer that's not great like i I guess you're still a craft brewery, but yeah, that's where it gets real foggy. Is is yeah. um, the the idea would be what wh- is is there a taste standard of like you know that you have to achieve? That's really hard to enforce, right? 
it's more of a cultural kind of felt yeah. definition than like a specific. I mean, I, I think the perfect example of a tra- like a traditional craft brewing would be like the Trappist breweries. Cause that goes past what goes through history way more than any American beer. Or what we think of as craft beer. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Trappist beers, but there's a specific definition. It has to be, Oh geez. I'm going to forget the order. Not Franciscan. One of the one of those orders of of monks uh-huh. has to be made by them. Yeah, it has to be made by them, but it has to be made by actual monks who it has to be brewed on site with. I think it's um, ingredients mostly grown there. Like they have to grow their own grain and they have to live a monastic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like they have to sell. They also have to sell whatever they sell has to be to raise money to help people. Their whole Christian. Uh, ethic thing yeah but <laughs> that whole thing but there, that whole thing but there there's a, a whole tradition to trappist brewing and their processes and stuff and and it, they're respected for that because they've been putting out consistently good beer for hundred for centuries yeah and uh and you can bet they're careful and mindful about the brewing process because they're monks <laughs> yeah and it's it's i mean that's that's i'm gonna just throw random historical tidbits throughout because there's too much to just do one section of this yeah, podcast totally. on it but the fasting is a big part in a lot of religions. Christianity used to have a lot more of it. Uh, Lent was traditionally a period where you would fast. And the, the that order of monks, or a lot of orders of monks, it would be, you could only have bread and water for the 40 days. Because I think that's all Jesus had when he was in the desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could only eat bread and water, which is not great. And it's really bad for your health. Like there's not enough vitamin B and and nutrients in bread to keep you alive for that long in a healthy manner. Yeah. Um, but beer, actually, you do get a lot of those good nutrients that you need from the yeast. So they would cheat and brew beer and be like... Liquid bread. <laughs> that's bread and water. It's liquid bread. And that's where that term liquid bread kind of got popularized. But if you're not eating all day and then you have, you know, some Belgian ales at night, like you're going to be hammered even if you only have a So few. are you saying, <laughs> I just want to have this on the record, you're saying that Jesus was hammered when he came up with... Uh, the Bible type of shit. The guy's blood was wine. He was definitely <laughs> right. Like <laughs> that's how. That's uh, what happened. Oh, I think Jesus would have been a beer drinker if he lived in a different part of the world. Though it's just wine is what was the thing in the Middle East. Right, that really was the ceremonial. Like, um, yeah. I mean, it, there's it, there there might be something ceremonial to alcohol in general, which is like, oh, when you let go of of um, control a little bit, right? You alter your consciousness with this substance. You know, mm-hmm. who is the more truthful version of you? People tend to not well, hold up their a, fake stuff when they're when they're drinking, right? There was an ancient Persian practice where they would, like, if you had a real debate about something, like, let's say we're going to go to war, we're going to invade this city, I would get all my account, the king would get his counselors together, and we would discuss the plan of, like, not how we're going to do it, but if we should, if politically it was a good idea, why we should do it. And then we would go and get wasted and have the same argument. So the idea was you could see it sober and drunk, and and you would get that like. Oh well, my god, we should do that with <laughs> Trump and Biden for for the presidential <laughs> debates. <laughs> I I mean yeah, I think we should still do the mushroom thing. I was saying yeah. on that other podcast, yeah. <laughs> they should have to take mushrooms on the debate stage. So you can really see what it's like when they freak out. And be like, oh, I don't want to give that guy the nuclear bomb. Right. Yeah. Um, Even just one beer, though, I feel like would would for both of them would push push them off of whatever. um, Well, Trump doesn't drink. He famously doesn't drink. So, Hmm. well, that all the more reason to force him to. (laughs) He could use a drink or two. I guess. How would you say getting into craft beer, like falling into a rabbit hole, either specifically beer or if it were any other rabbit hole? How does it? How how has it changed your personality or your sort of um, 
you know, vibe. Well, I mean, the, yeah, the, the internet just makes it amazing because any little thing I think is kind of cool, I don't have to spend all this time gathering like bits and pieces of information from different people to get a good, like someone's already done it and it's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I don't have to read a bunch of books, like bread making is my latest thing. I don't have to read a bunch of books on bread making. There's whole channels of people who did all that and have been making bread for years now. Right. And they give you little tips and and it's true for brewing also. Um, So I, I like that you could tell the breadth of a, of a subject and see how interested and what parts you're actually interested in. Um, really quickly you don't have to like yeah. go to the library and find out it's a dead end like i've tried to watch some videos on i tried to get into geometry earlier in the year um that's funny really yeah i got some euclid books and stuff and i was like oh there's, like, there's not much like actual math it's all proofs and logic thinking if you start this line and split it and that and this mm-hmm. it's not like super complex i mean it is but it the it's all it's built stuff from simple formulas or simple yeah, all ideas, shapes yeah. And, and stuff. And you know, I got like a chapter into the book, and I was like, I don't like this. This is too complicated. <laughs> and so I was able to give up on that right. pretty easily. So you you um, you circled the rim of that rabbit hole and yeah. said, no thanks, not for me. It's a lot easier to get a glimpse at stuff and decide. I think these days and and figure out whether things aren't as. Because when I first tried to get into homebrewing like 10 years ago, it was really insurmountable. Like everybody thought a lot of people you talked to had been doing it for years. They're like, they couldn't answer my questions. Like, I don't know. I don't do it that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just do it the way I do it. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's changed a lot though. And, and it is scary to just think, how do I, how do I do this? Because you got to buy a lot of equipment. You have to know a lot of like specialized little steps, but also, you can just throw the ingredients together and get beer. Right, yeah. Like, it, it's how, but like you like you can just mix water and flour and add some yeast and it'll turn into bread. But if you want a perfectly fluffy baguette with that right nice crunch on that, like that takes way more skill. Um, and uh, theoretically a better result um, unless you mess something up in that process. But right, I love the idea like this of, point, of um, you know, as you circle the rabbit hole, your signal will get stronger, like it's worth going deeper in and you you sort of get more slack on the rope right. and go down deeper. Mm-hmm. And the more I go into beer, the more I want to keep going. Cool. Um, That's a good sign too. And it's also a good sign that you can make that not just a hobby, but also a career path. Yeah, like honestly, I, I thought at different points, I was like, maybe I should go work for like a maltster or a hop farm, or I, I did apply at a yeast manufacturer even like a supplier of a brewery, like it's really interesting stuff to me. So like any of that would, except a water treatment plant, that sounds dull, <laughs> but that's the as other much as water is crucial to beer. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's, and at this point I have, I have enough, like I have a badass home set up now that my beer, like I, there's nothing limiting me from making great beer except myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of like that, you know, right. if your guitar is missing a string, you're kind of limiting yourself. But once it's set up and tuned, like it's, it's kind of on you to, to do a good job or a, or a bad job. Right. Yeah. Um, you've got the so, whole like, like recording studio at home. It's up to you to make some, a good album. out. Of right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not your equipment then it's your, it's your inspiration. That's the issue. So you invested pretty heavily in homebrew equipment. Uh, what would you say about people who are looking at those kits that you know are pretty cheap. Uh, are they worth they're it? They're a great way. 
They're, they are, especially if you've never done it. And like I said, you're not going to go buy hundreds of dollars worth of equipment for something you might not you might use once, mm-hmm. uh, which I do know people who have had that happen and it sits in a garage and just, you know, it's a waste of money. Uh, it, you're not going to make amazing beer, but you can make good beer with those kits usually. Okay. The, the one thing I do tell people when they buy it is open it up and throw the yeast out if it comes with a packaged yeast because the yeast is the most important ingredient really after the water, I guess. And those things get packaged and they sit on a shelf in a shop for six months, a year. You order them on Amazon. You know, Mm -hmm. they might be put on a truck that's 120 degrees. Like, that's going to cook your yeast and kill it. And I know a lot of people who have done that. They get the kit. They follow the directions. And then it makes a funky tasting beer because the yeast is bad. And they go... I spent a whole Saturday for this crap. This isn't right. worth yeah. it. And then, you know, I must they give suck up. at brewing, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I would go to a homebrew store. I know those are more rare than they used to be. Uh, but if you can, go to a homebrew store and and if they have kits, say, I want fresh yeast with it. And if they say no, then, then don't, you know, they won't. They'll, you know, say, I don't, my friend said to get a fresh yeast and not the one with it. It's like yeah. five bucks for another yeast pack. Just get a, one off the shelf and um, or from the, the yeast fridge. Because those tend to get sold more to home brewers and they turn over and they're fresher. Right. Uh, yeah. If it's in the fridge. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you do the kit, like the first time I did a beer, it was one of those Mr. Beer kits. And uh, it turned out bad because I did use the yeast that came with it. It turned out pretty bad. But I had so much fun making it. And, and there's something about drinking something you made. It's like eating a steak you cooked, you know, versus getting one at the store. The stores might, or at a restaurant, theirs might be better, but there's there's something about it, about knowing you did it, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Um, totally, yeah. yeah. I have so, a question. So, so I got hooked on that, and I was like, how do I get better at this? And then I spent thousands of dollars a year <laughs> <laughs> on equipment and ingredients and stuff. Um, I have this question. Um, what's your favorite thing about like the beer culture that you would say that makes it different than a cocktail or like wine culture? No. Um, so it's probably it, it's more on the industry side of it. Uh, I mean, the first thing I would say is is it's probably the least pretentious out of those. Yeah, indi- there are pretentious people uh, in every th- every hobby. Pretentious but people, beer, people beer drinkers, <laughs> right? But beer drinkers tend to be more like. Let's hang out and have a beer. That's like, true. Yeah, they don't you know. attach anything else into it. <laughs> right. Like if a wine people are having a tasting and someone says they taste something no one else tastes, I'm sure there's some judgment there in certain groups, you know? Um, and you get some of that in beer, but it's yeah. not a lot. But oh. my, my favorite thing I would say is more industry driven. And it's it's the only industry I've worked in where competitors hang out and talk and share information. That's and collaborate. respectable, right? for sure. Yeah, and, and you don't get that in, you know, mattress companies aren't doing that or McDonald's fast food companies that <laughs> CEOs aren't getting King. together and check out this new shop. burger, a combination of McDonald's and Burger King coming together to make the most delicious. Yeah, no. <laughs> or no, not even that. Just there's brewers will get together and just hang out and just talk about how they oh, well we did this this way, we did that that way. And part of it is is it is such a complex process that it's, you know, like good luck trying to to rip us off. You can right. find out exactly how we make it every step of the way. And yours is probably going to be a little different than ours. Cause you're using different equipment. You know, you're getting your ingredients from di- you're how a long different is person. it sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> you're a different person. You know, you, you, your, your schedule, your work schedule is different. People come in at 6am instead of 8am. Like when the yeast gets sh- like, it's, it's so hard to, to, to copy exactly that. And no one's really trying to do that. They're trying to, everyone's trying to do their own thing. So you, you'll get competitors, uh, the brewery I work for now, they used to have that where brewers would get together 
and like bring be- beers that they were working on. They're like, eh, something's off. And they get feedback and like brutally honest, be like, yeah, this is bad. There's an off flavor here. Mm-hmm. And you know, like you can't tell, you can't tell a, a fellow artist their painting sucks because that guy's hand looks weird. Like it's too <laughs> subjective, you know? But I wish we could uh, do that as like instrument players, you know, <laughs> get together and just rub. I bet that wouldn't go well if you were like, it sounds weird. You should move your hand slightly. Like you can't say that to someone at your level. <laughs> well, right? certainly not to a violinist. Yeah. I mean, we you can't have say you look settings. dumb the way you hold that violin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have those settings, that. like masterclass settings, but it's yeah, Johnny, the only way to be that, fake, like, and just pretend. Well, it can be fake, but sometimes it's real if the teacher running the master class is really good but it has to have that hierarchy of like someone's in mm-hmm. charge and if you're if you overstep and be like i really think your tchaikovsky concerto sucked they're gonna be like whoa 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 that's not helpful like you know and they run yeah. the show uh but i would love for musicians to get together and we play recordings of our own stuff and say and critique it and critique it but in that healthy kind of collaborative way like yeah. we all have weaknesses maybe i'm not spotting mine let me know yeah, and, and that's just, that's not like something that's uh, manufactured or forced. Like everywhere I've lived, that's just part of the beer scene. I think it's the people attracted to it. You know, it's a mixture of, of like, it's, it's, they're mad scientists. Yeah. Like <laughs> brewer types. Like, it's just that there's a certain personality you have to be to be like, oh, I'll just get in there and figure it out. And when you meet other people like that, it's, it's easy to, easier to just not take things personally i think yeah and the larger you know, beer you, culture is very um friendly i i think like when you go to yeah. breweries also there's there's no there's no money in brewing brewers there's no rich brewers do you think there's that's why it's like this then? Who are, because it's not kinda, corrupted yeah. by money because you get into it because you care about it right like mm-hmm. like i took a pay cut to move to production from bartending right because mm-hmm. i'm more interested in that and like I could make the same money working three, four days a week at a busy bar, but like, this is much more enjoyable to me. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're part of the process of actually making a beer, not just serving it. It feels probably more meaningful. It does. Yeah. It's like, you know, our generation too, I think we crave that more and there's not as many places, people who want to do stuff and make things with their hands. And someone like me who has no like real talent with that, like I can't craft a sculpture or, you know, even like woodwork and carpentry, like fine skill carpentry, like I'm kind of uncoordinated for that stuff. Mm-hmm. But like brewing is more about taking your knowledge and using it. I'm not a brewer, I should say. Like I haven't been to school. Like I, there's a lot of people who spend years and get scientific degrees yeah, in brewing. Yeah, can you say what the, the, the formal education is of brewing? So it used to be, in even like 20 years ago, you just got into it because there weren't a lot of programs. Um and they were mostly homebrewer types who made good beer, who got into the business. But now it's changed since it is a huge industry. There's a lot of degree programs and certificate. There's like two year technical programs for brewing. There's four year fermentation sciences, science degrees. There's people who get PhDs and, and, you know, microbiologists are going to work in the labs for, for, for checking the beer for, you know, micro infection and, yeah. and, uh, you know, just really trying to dial everything in and control every step of it. So yeah, it's a lot like, especially out here in Portland where I live, uh, you pretty much need a four year degree to get a brewing job. Oh, yeah. wow. I, mean, I was going to ask, is it mandatory? Like at what, to what extent it's mandatory? Like, can you raise um, in the company? Yeah. Can, yeah. Yeah. If is you there a corporate it? ladder or any yeah. kind of ladder? 
Well, like they would never put me on the, like I work at a production facility now, so they're making tens of thousands of barrels a year. They would never put me in the brew house unless I went and went to school. But let's say now, this like company's cool. They might, really? they might pay for me to take some classes or uh-huh. work I with see. me, but um, yeah, they're, it's not like a, a state law or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just a an standard, you know, standard. An industry standard. I see. But you know, if you're going to start a small, like a little small one barrel neighborhood bar, you might be like, I'm a chemist. Like I have a chemistry background. This is my buddy, John. He homebrews really good beer. We're going to team up and, you know, just split everything and figure like there's people who still do that, but to step into an already functioning brewery, like it's all about consistency and control of the product. So you can't just throw someone in there who doesn't understand practices and does it all their own way. Right. That's another cool little thing about beer is we are deciding all the sugars, the exact, like exactly what we want in the beer. That's what, but you can't do that with like wine or cider because you're, you're getting the sugars already formed in your grapes Mm -hmm. or your apples or your fruit or whatever. Uh, whereas with malt, you're malting, you're roasting it, you know, you're controlling the temperature of your mash. You can add enzymes to get more or less different sugars. So that's why beer is same from batch to batch and wine has to go, you know, it's this vintage or that vintage. And so much of it is, you know, taking care of your grapes before, how long do you age it, blending the different barrels to get the (laughs) right taste you want. And with beer, it's no, this should taste the same as the last one or is the same as the other one, or this year's hops have slightly different. Uh, like oil compounds or a- alpha acids is what they look at for bitterness. Uh, so we have to, you know, it's slightly less. So if we add this much more, it'll be the same bitterness that we had in the... Pre- so you have so much ah, of that control. Okay. You do need somebody with that scientific training. So they measure can, the variance in in the ingredients that come out of the ground, like where you don't know what the weather caused the, the, the plants to grow this way or that way. Yeah. And they try and to if you're, equalize if you're that. brewing a gigantic, ba- like if you're filling a 400-barrel tank out with a 50-barrel kettle, it's going to take you four batches to do that, right? If your second batch is a little under, you can adjust your next two oh, batches okay. so the whole gotcha. tank is the same. So it's like if you have over extracted coffee, the next batch you add to it can be under and it will balance out. Right. It'll balance out. Gotcha. But um that's not necessarily the case everywhere though. I've been reading it up on a lot of farmhouse beer, wild ales, open fermentation stuff. Yeah. It's impossible to make those beers the same from batch to batch if you're just letting wild yeast in and you know, some places lean into it and that's how they do it. But that's almost still the cool, same level of cool way to let randomness decide how your beer is going to be. Right. Yeah. If anything, like dialing in every other part of your process is, is more important because you're turning over such a big step to chance. Yeah. Well, this would be a good transition into the history part since you mentioned wild fermentation and all of that. Sure. Um, let's just start. So, Can you give a brief history of beer? Like, you know, that, that would fit into um, <laughs> what, you know. So I used brief. to always say when I gave brewery tours that, um, you know, they say dogs are the oldest domesticated animal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say, I think it's brewer's yeast. Okay. <laughs> um, which, Come you know, is technically. brewer's yeast and cuddle with me on the couch. <laughs> it's technically a fungus, I know, but, it, and if it's not first, it was right after dogs because there's a huge overlap between beer people and dog people. So I'm convinced there's something there. I, I don't have a time machine, so I can't prove it. But um, yeah, we think people have been brewing beer for about 10,000 years. And I contend that 
without beer, we would never would have developed cities. We would still be very nomadic. Um, there's obviously the the benefits of uh, you get from alcohol drinking in a group, you know, the whole tribe getting together and having a bowl of beer. It warms your spirit. It relaxes you. Bowl you know, of beer. jokes a little. Oh, yeah. That was the traditional way to drink it. That's so um, funny. Out of a bowl? A bowl, yeah. Yeah, they didn't have mugs. <laughs> you, you ate everything out of a bowl back then. How many bowls did you have, you know, <laughs> when you were running from place to place? Uh, but beer, beer really does allow us to settle down in one place. So quick human history. We're hunter-gatherers, right? We're running around. We follow the herds. We get every, We live off the land. Some hunt, some gather. When the food runs out, you move on and follow the, the buffalo or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Now, then they start noticing the gatherers. If we replant some of these seeds, that we'll get more. And if we come back to the same area at next season, there'll be even more of these wild grasses and stuff that we can easily pick and, and eat. Yeah. Um, the, you, do, you do that long enough that you go, hey, we got a whole field of wheat here or barley growing. Like, we should just stay. But now you go, well, the buffalo left, though, and we're going to die if we... Like, you need meat to survive. There's certain... I think it's vitamin B and A and something else that you get from meat mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it's hard to get on an... On and just protein, right? Do you get enough protein from wheat? Yeah, there's not... A lot, yeah, exactly. So, uh, I think you can, actually. But there's... So, there's... There's... There's that problem there is, well, we want to stay here because we're investing in this land, but we our food is leaving. And then you also have the problem, the grains only get harvested once a year, and we got to wait till next year to get more. Uh, like, they're going to go bad. They're going to get moldy. They're going to yeah. rot. So, how do, we, how do you keep grain from going bad? You mean, um, like, even if they picked it all and stored it? You couldn't store yeah. it all. Well, that's the other thing. Over the winter, you ever you ever tried to bite into a piece of cor- raw corn? I don't think so. You'll, you'll crack a tooth. Uh, it's so hard. Yeah. Like grain, unprocessed grain is so freaking hard because mm-hmm. it's a seed, you know. Um, and so they would, you would soak it like oatmeal, or you would heat it up and soak it in water, heat it up, and it would soften it so you could chew it. It also, when you add water to malt, it. It, warm water it causes enzymatic enzymes in the actual seed will that are designed to grow the, turn I'm jumping all over no go for so, it so so uh, a seed is is all like bread is all carbs right that's what everyone knows white bread is all carbs why is that because a kernel of wheat is all sugars packed in there it's a little battery for the future wheat stock for the plant it's going to grow mm-hmm. and it has to have enough uh, energy to to shoot through the ground and start getting it from sunlight. So there's a lot of energy in that seed, but you want to get at it. So you soak it in some warm water uh, and the enzymes will actually go to work breaking these big sugar, big starchy carb chains down into simple sugars that are supposed to feed the plant. Now, if you just leave it damp and wet, it will grow into a plant. That's germination. You know, yeah. when we used to do the little paper towel thing in school. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you just leave it long enough, the, the seed will get really hard and it'll turn into a plant. And eventually the seed breaks down as it gets used up. So you get it just damp enough and then you dry it out. So you have all these sugars lined up and then you dry it and it's to store it. And now that's how you make malt. So someone probably did it by accident. They left their malt soaking, put it in a basket or they put it in a basket. It got wet and then they dried it out and they noticed it's sweeter now. It tastes better. Mm -hmm. And then someone else noticed if you take it after you malt it and dissolve it in water, it'll get foamy and bubbly after a few days. And then it tastes really good and it gets you drunk and makes you feel great. So beer was discovered kind of by accident. Right. 
but you can replace meat in your diet with uh, like unfiltered low alcohol beer in large enough quantities. So boom, now we can stay in one place, right? And we, mm. we're drunk and happy. <laughs> yeah. We're drunk and happy. We could stay in one place and we figure out how to turn this grain, which would have taken up a huge amount of space and put it into a concentrated form in a, in a bowl. And it's still got all those ca- good calories in it. So, so uh, in that process that you just described where they were doing this stuff with the wheat, the wheat was left in water and then it turned into beer. I should say barley, not wheat. Barley. I just say wheat because people are familiar with it, but it was barley. And and so you're saying that some random occurrence of yeast flying through mm-hmm. the air must have landed in that yes. bowl of there's, liquid. There's yeast everywhere. The whole world is covered in yeast. Yeah. That's just something people don't realize. Like when you, you can make wine with just grapes by just smashing them up and the yeast on the outside of them will will ferment it. There's, it might not be uh, an award-winning wine, but it'll it'll be alcoholic and slightly right. at least. Um, in fact, that's how you make sourdough: is you just leave flour and, and water on your counter, and it'll the wild yeast will start eating those sugars. Um, so, wasn't there also the historical fact, like if you push forward from hunter-gatherer stuff into like civilization, like it allowed people to have access to to um, clean drinking water? I, obviously, beer is not just water, but it's mostly water, right? There is a saint who was known for that. He's the patron saint of beer. His, I'm blanking on the name, but it was because during the plague, he convinced them to, to, here, take the beer from the brewery because we know that's safe. We'll water it down so there's enough for everybody. And we're good because they were getting plague runoff from the river from where they pulled their from plague the runoff. <laughs> so <laughs> that the brewers, bo- you, but the brewers would boil their water in Europe at that time. So, so. Yeah, it, it was a form of, of sanitizing. Also, it's a way to store it. So here, I got a quote here about farmhouse brewing. But traditionally, you know, if even if you have good water, right, you have a nice clean well. And so you have workers in your field. So how do you get that water to the workers? You're going to put it in a bucket, put it in a barrel, right? Yeah. Well, wo- wo- think about a wooden barrel that... It's probably not brand new, right? Like how, how much time do you have to make brand new barrels when you're a peasant farmer? <laughs> probably an old barrel. You're going to fill it up with water and bring it out on a cart and it's sitting in the sun all day. How long before that water gets gross and nasty and it's stagnant water? It's just sitting there. It's going to make you sick. Um, and there's no calories in it, which when you're working in the fields all day, you don't have time to stop and eat every 20 minutes, you know, to keep your, your calorie input. So just a quick draft of beer would, you know, yeah. keep, keep it going. Yeah. Um, Energy wise, in fact, yeah. a lot of farmers would pay workers because you don't get paid until you sell your goods. And, you know, I gotta I gotta collect my grain and go to the farmers market and sell it. Then I pay my workers. So part of your payment was you have a place to sleep in the barn and you get paid in beer until pays pay comes. Because I don't have any money, I have grain and water, so I made beer. It's another form of wealth. So are you saying our ancestors maybe are their biological systems evolved to handle our beer rich diet? Oh yeah. I, I think at least amongst European, Northern European people, yeah. there's a very high tolerance for alcohol, but also higher rates of alcoholism amongst those groups. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, you go to areas like Southeast Asia or China specifically, areas of China where they've had good water for a long time and there's uh, like alcohol uh, allergies are more common because, yes, you know, yeah. it, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't, we got bad water this summer. Oh, beer makes you sick. Well, the water does too. So let's see which kills you first. Yeah. Um, that, you know, you have more options, but 
I here's love a that. Quote, uh, yeah. Here's a quote about the 20th century, because people forget this about me. The most dramatic and far-reaching social change of the second half of this century, and the one which cuts us off forever from the world of the past, is the death of the peasantry. Right. Which is true. We don't remember how important beer was to that lifestyle, because it's so foreign to us. Like, nobody, who in the West is really, I mean, people are food insecure, but most working people aren't worried about not getting enough calories. It's about worrying about not getting enough of the right kind or getting right. too many. A balanced diet, not mm. just surviving Whereas, on to the next Right. Meal. Whereas yeah. a lot of people, if you work on a farm, you can't afford to buy meat if you're a peasant farmer. So it's the hunter-gatherer problem. And where do I get these nutrients? Like it, you need the calories in your beer to stay alive. Yeah. You, you don't see pictures from the 1800s of fat farmers drinking their beer in the fields and they drank beer every day. Because they drank beer uh, every day, but they didn't also have hot dogs and, and fast food and, and no they would work a 12 hour day fries. and then eat, eat some porridge yeah you know so the beer was some of the healthiest parts of their diet ironically enough beer is is probably viewed now as an unhealthy habit but i think there is a lot of health benefits to yeah well i mean i would agree drinking like a miller light i'm not bashing it i love a good miller light but you're not getting you know it's pasteurized you're not getting any of those benefits from it yeah. Uh, from those those gut biome. Like, I drink a lot of unpasteurized craft beer or even better, unfiltered homebrew, mm -hmm. which, you know, like, if you make a Hefeweizen, like, that, that's a yeasty beer. Um, like, the haziness in a wheat beer in, in the Hefeweizen, it's actual yeast floating around in the beer. Right. That's what gives it that nice banana, clovey kind of smell and, like, that chunky, foamy head on it. Um and so, like, that's, it. you know, that's pretty good for your gut, I think. And, and, and my experience with fermented foods, which I'm a big fan of in general, if you eat or ingest something fermented and it makes you sick, when people say sick, they really mean diarrhea, right? Uh, but, <laughs> like, not physically sick, like, say, oh, I think there's something wrong. No, if there was soap in it, you would have, like, thrown up or had renal failure or something bad. Like, yeah. if they left cleaning chemicals. I've found that if fermented food has an, a reaction like that and gives you the, the bubble guts, as it's known, um, you probably need more of it in your diet. Yeah. Right. And by, 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 or you took too much at once. So if you, like, if you eat a bunch of kimchi and it makes your stomach bad, try eating small amounts over a period of a few weeks and you'll, you'll build up a tolerance and you'll start to, I think there's other benefits with uh, hunger, uh, you know, hunger, crave. Totally. I mean, all that gut health thing yeah. is like the, it's the new thing and, right yeah. now. I find it affects my skin. I don't have great skin. I got the Irish skin in my family and I didn't inherit the Italian side, olivey skin like my brother. <laughs> um, so like I notice when I am drinking like kombucha and eating kimchi and like homemade sauerkraut and stuff, my skin is just better. It's, it's yeah. not yeah. itchy and stuff. Your gut is replaced um, by the good type of bacteria basically. And yeah. if you don't mm -hmm. have that enough, of course, you're going to get initially a reaction, which is a diarrhea. Right. So, they, people go as so far as to analyze they get, their poop. They mail in their poop so that they can figure out what's going on in my gut. And maybe yeah. I need I to... I did that when I was a teenager. I had a lot of stomach problems. Uh -huh. And they were like oh, additional yeah. allergies <laughs> that I ended up fixing. You're like, oh, yeah, you're the weirdo that I tell this story. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> yeah, I remember I you used to have on. a lot of allergies and and we, we had lunch together and you would... Um, you just be very conscious about what you're eating, basically. Yeah, and eventually I reintroduced stuff and I built my gut back up, which is not what like the Western medicine approach was at all. It was just avoidance. Well, don't eat those things. Yeah, you're yeah. allergic. I Boom, came back. <laughs> I came back being allergic to milk, soy, eggs, and wheat. 
And it's like, that's everything. Yeah. Like, that's I had a similar things. history. Yeah. When I was a kid, yeah. they did that. And then I was allergic to like the, you know, yolk of the egg, but not the white of it. Like just all kinds of awkward right. things like cockroach eggs, something like that. What? Yeah. That was a thing. Cockroach eggs? Yeah. I was allergic to cockroach eggs. How do you know that? I don't know. They Crazy. just like stuck needles all over my body. Is that one of the needles they stick you with? The cockroach egg needle? No, apparently like... I'm Maybe in Turkey of- it is. I don't know. They might have more of a problem than, than I do. Specifically cockroach <laughs> eggs, I guess. Or like cockroaches. Like something. I'm going to let that I one slide. Know. Anyway, like it's all bullshit, I think. Well, they probably lay a lot of eggs for how tiny they are. So if you have a few, yeah, I, I could see that being a problem. If they're just around the house and like you pick up your keys and you got some cockroach eggs on your hands. Anyways, mm-hmm. I think it's all bullshit. Then you like, eat some chips. <laughs> <laughs> like along with a hundred, yeah, uh, hundreds of other things in that list. So uh, what I'm trying to say is, but it, you just did what I did with like milk products. You just slowly expose yeah. yourself to cockroach eggs until exactly. you're comfortable I with ate them. them, and now I'm okay. <laughs> There's Everybody the soundbite of the episode. Now you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like people who say they get beer shits, you know, I've heard that, and it's like, oh man, I can't drink those wild ales. It gives me beer shits. It's like, okay, that's one thing. Someone goes, oh, I can't drink Miller Light. It gives me beer shits. It's like, no, it was the chili cheese, the three chili cheese dogs you had. <laughs> With the 17 beers. Right. Like, that's a bad combination. <laughs> I would like to see more of the like 3 to 5% beer range. Uh, there's a French style called a grisette that I really like. And it's named after the type of uh, like gray drab smocks the women would wear in the 1800s oh, in France. And uh, it's like a kind of a, a funky farmhouse beer. But it's like I've had some at like 2.5%, 3%. Right. And, uh, and like, those are your everyday drinking beers. I'm not talking about the double IPAs. Like that's probably, I mean, I do drink those every day too, but you're not going to get the same medical medicinal benefit as from those low alcohol, uh, you know, those, and, and it's good in some ways because, you know, a 2% beer, it's, it's still somewhat diuretic, right? So it'll, it flushes the water through you, which is good if you're drinking it with other water. Like you go for a run and then have one yes. light beer like that. It, it helps. You just sweat out a bunch. You drink a bunch of water. And then now you're passing that water. It kind of helps the filtration process and keep things moving. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's important to keep liquids moving through your body, yeah. sweating and um, and drinking a lot of water. Would you say that the beer that, that um, a- as beer was evolving, they were probably these wild fermented like beers were probably 2 to 3%, something like that? Um. No, actually, it was probably. It depends where you look. Um, like, there's a style in Eastern Europe called the Kvass, K V A S S, and typically you would take bread, old bread, and then throw it into the water and dissolve it and brew that. Oh. Um, once the bread went stale, or you would actually bake these loaves with extra yeast in them, these really yeasty like rye bread cakes. And then you would just crack those up and dissolve them into water and make that into beer. So some of those kvasses are like 1%. Oh, God. Um, I, can you even taste and, that? Is that like under the, the limit where you taste oh, you, the alcohol you, bite? You can taste it. Well, you don't taste the alcohol bite. You taste the sourness. They're mm-hmm. very sour because it's it's you're not, you're not producing enough alcohol to kill off everything else. And you're not, you know, there's not enough sugar for the yeast to really outcompete the other bacteria like lactobacillus yeah. and things that, that will sour it, but it's kind of nice. It's better than just drinking water all day, having a little tart kind of bready drink that is nutritious and safe to drink. So there's, yeah. it's actually sold more like a soda in certain parts of like Russia and stuff. Um, like they don't ID you for buying kvass, even if it's right. 2%. Oh. 
Or same with like, kombucha, yeah, kombucha, right? Yeah, I was gonna ask. Kombucha yeah. has alcohol, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But is it like almost undetectable, mm -hmm. or like if you say, let's yeah. say. I mean, kombucha is a new thing. It's in a gray area because that has live yeast in it, but then they also add sugars for flavoring. So like if you ever get one, like a store-bought one, and you open it and it's foaming everywhere, it's probably higher alcohol than it says on the label because it's fermenting in the bottle, producing all that extra CO2, and that's where all those extra bubbles are coming from. So you got to do be a little careful. If it's like some will say now could be up to 5% because wow. they're like, well, technically... If it referments fully, it could be that's that a much. beer, basically. Because yeah, you see like, people I driving think around. That when I'm driving, like you know, just, yeah, I don't know. yeah, and it's it's usually fine, but you know, it's just it's in a weird area. If some you saw someone drinking a Bud Light, even if they're just having one while driving, you'd be like, that's not right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something exactly. jumps out. Totally like for example, <laughs> a cab driver on Halloween, you'd be like, hey man, why are you drinking that Bud Light? <laughs> right. Whereas if he's drinking a kombucha, you're like very health conscious, very good yeah. of you. <laughs> Same buzz. Uh, well, this is this should be a good time to drink our beer, like taste it, and just kind of yeah. talk through how do how do you taste a beer if you're in the. We went to. Uh, do you remember we came with you in North Carolina to your homebrewers meeting? We did, and we went through a beer taste. Yeah, there. so we've 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 done that, but um, that was two years ago. So just kind of like walk us through a brief version of how you might taste this beer. So I'm gonna pull up the style guideline, which you don't have to do this, and. Um, but if you're trying to get into tasting beers, it's a good thing to do. There's something called the BJCP guidelines, the Brewers Judge Certification Program. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to judge a beer competition, national, international, whatever, like a professional competition for breweries, not home brewers, although they have homebrew ones too, but the, this is the guideline they use. The actual, what they call an IPA, this is what they go by, not... The, what you think it is or because styles change and adapt yeah the, the ipa in america is very different than the ones developed in england um definitely yeah you know even our stouts are very different than what the irish drink guinness is different in america versus ireland it's like uh, over a whole percent higher here than it is there i'm pretty sure i, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the market research made them you know change it up to better i think it our ships better too Oh, I see. Alcohol. That's true. Mm. Yeah. Um, but Guinness in Ireland is like four and a half percent, I think. Four percent. It's pretty light. It's like 90 calories. Like that's, well, you just have a couple after work. Uh, but so there's categories for each style and it goes, there's the impression, which kind of just gives you some history about it. You know, decidedly hoppy and bitter, moderately strong American ale, modern American or new world hops. The balance is hop forward, clean fermentation profile. That means not a lot of yeasty flavor, dryish finish, clean supporting malt, allowing a creative range of hop character to shine through. Uh, and then it goes into specifics, aroma, appearance, flavor, and mouthfeel. Those are, those are, and then taste. Those are like your five things you want to yeah. um, look for. Uh, when Which is so different than beer. how most people judge beer just initially. They'll just sip it and be like, what's the impression it leaves me? And that's fine. But this is breaking it up into a more mindful process where you're like separating categories out and trying to specifically right. notice them. So the, the first thing we'll do is, well, the first thing you do is look at the style. This is an IPA, Bear Republic's Racer 5 India Pale Ale. Mm -hmm. um, quick history on IPA, and then we'll get into it. IPAs are ales. Ale refers to the kind of yeast that's used. There's two kinds. There's ale yeast and lager yeast. Uh, most ale yeasts are top fermenting. Most lagers are bottom fermenting. It's just where the yeast hangs out in the tank, and, on the and, top or the bottom. And that's bottom not the because beer. they're forced to hang out there. It's where they naturally hang out? No. It's where they... Yeah, it has to do with what temperature the you're fermenting at and the, the species of yeast, okay, et cetera. Okay. Um, 
so it's a t- IPAs are usually top fermenting ales that uh, in America they tend to have a pretty caramelly malt profile. Mm-hmm. They actually use a type of malt called caramel malt or crystal malt where they uh, sort of stew it in its own sugar when, during the malting process. So you get that caramelization yeah. instead of fermentable sugar. Because once you burn that sugar and caramelize it, it's it's burnt. The yeast can't eat it the same way it can uncaramelized It will stay so in, the, in the mix as it is caramelized, not get transformed by the yeast. Yeah, it's basically a bone in your steak or okay. your ribs. Like you'll you'll eat all that meat off the bone, but like the bone is there. Like it's going to be left behind. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we want that in certain malts. So you add caramel malt uh, is really common in American IPAs, and that's because hops impart a lot of bitterness. So you want it's all about balance. You want that balance between bitter and sweet, so that it's it's nice and pleasant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, we've all had like a super sweet cider where you're like, oh, that's hard to drink. It's like drinking juice or soda, you know. Um, in fact, that's why soda is so highly carbonated. You get that carbonic bite. CO2 is goes into, sorry, CO2 goes into solution when you force it into a liquid as carbonic acid mm-hmm. and acidifies it. And you get that uh-huh. acidy tang. That's why seltzer water has that little... Yeah, that little tang to it, even though unflavored seltzer, it's that acidity that you're getting out of it. As long as it's um, not the kind of seltzer where they add sodium, a lot of times they add. <laughs> yeah, they cheat. Yeah, um, probably because. Uh, but it's even cheaper. if you just make it at home, you just make it at home yourself. I can make. I, I don't bother because I'd rather beer. But I can just fill up one of my kegs with water and hook up my CO2 tank and make seltzer. Right, um, and that's a good way to. I mean, do it in a soda stream if you have one at home. That's a good way to get what I'm talking about with the that that co2 bite um but so all right so ipa so we got first thing we're gonna do is look at it right we poured it we're gonna look at it i like to give it a little swirl and look at the foaming you can tell a lot by the bubbles if you have really irregular bubbles like all different sizes all over the place uh like a non-persistent head they did like um like when you pour a Bud Light into a glass, the bubbles are gone almost immediately, right? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, that makes the beer last longer in the can, but it takes away from the aroma, the presentation. It'll go flat faster. Uh, foam beer is fascinating because it's really the only true foamy beverage. Uh, I know you foam up milk for your espresso or whatever, but that's kind of cheating. I mean, you're you know? literally just like putting air into milk in the moment. So, yeah. Right. This is this so came out of a bottle that was probably bottled. I'm guessing we bought this in New York. This is from California. Yeah. When do you think this was bottled? Like six months ago? Uh, hopefully not. <laughs> Four months ago? L- less than six months, I would say. Okay. But uh, yeah. But so when you when you open the beer and pour it, the CO2 escaping actually it has to do with the the protein that you get out of the barley mm-hmm. that you get out of the malt. Wheat has it too, but it's the proteins that cause the foaming. It's the same reason milk is probably the next best foamy beverage because all the protein in it. Right, yeah. The fats and the proteins. Um, But it actually creates a blanket of bubbles on top of proteinous bubbles that help keep the CO2 in. And if you pour a soda next to a beer, the soda goes flat way faster. And soda is carbonated at a much higher level than beer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beers are about two two, uh, atmospheres of carbonation. Soda can be four. Is that a standard in beer, or do you carbonate differently based on 
preference? Uh, different styles are different. Like a really carbonated stout is not going to be great. Yeah. You want a lower carb, whereas like a, like a Pilsner or higher carb, it's such a light beer, refreshing beer. You want that, that, that carbonation yeah. tang to it. Um, so yeah, so it's the, the foam actually helps. It helps release the aroma because it helps that the, the CO2 escaping helps gas off those. Yep aromatics from those hops but it also keeps the co some co2 it keeps it from gassing off too fast so you you it doesn't go flat before you finish your so beer. it traps a little bit and it actually launches them into your nose especially i've noticed when i fresh pour a beer if i smell it that's right the when the part. foam yep. is like active then you really smell it and that's yeah because it's actively the bubbles are popping that's why i always tell people to pour Certain styles you want to pour into a glass, like a Miller Lite, drink it right from the can. It's delicious. But an IPA, definitely get a glass, a clean glass, and pour it in. A clean glass. I love that's, how you have to say a clean glass. Well, that's important. Have you ever poured a beer in a glass and there's all, like, see, look at this. There's no bubbles on the side of my glass, right? Uh-huh. Oh, so when there um, are bubbles on the side, it's because it, it's clinging to, like, shit. Dirt. And dirt. Oh. Dirt, and grease, oil. And restaurants, it's usually just grease because they a lot of places throw them all in the same dishwasher. Uh, if you go to a craft bar that doesn't serve food and there's bubbles on the side, that's a bad sign because they should only be putting beer glasses in their dishwasher. Um, and that's another reason you don't want to put your glasses in the freezer because <laughs> which for we, year, that was before we hit record. <laughs> I pulled out these glasses from I the freezer and Johnny's like, "Ooh, you made your first mistake of the episode." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the the condensation that forms in there is going to water down your beer. That makes sense. The the most freezers aren't totally clean. I'm not saying yours isn't, <laughs> yeah, but no, ours you know, is probably not clean. <laughs> but yeah, so who knows? If you got shrimp in there that's not sealed up great, like you, you saw got shrimp condensate <laughs> from through Skype. <laughs> you, oh yeah, I see everything. You have, uh, you know, you got some shrimp ice in your beer glass now, and also you don't <laughs> taste as much at extreme temperatures, like super cold or super hot. We've talked about this before. Like coffee that you brew hot and then let cool down, you'll taste much more. And same thing, if you pour a beer ice cold and let it warm up, you'll be able to taste more from it. Um, yeah, so what would you say is the ideal temperature for an IPA like this? IPA, um, well, since this is a little higher alcohol, it's probably going to take you a little while to drink it. So I would pour it at like 40 degrees, and then I'd probably finish it by the time it gets up to 50. So somewhere in that range. Um yeah, and it's exactly like coffee, except the inverse, right? Because you're when you when you have piping hot coffee, it just burns your mouth. You can't actually taste it, yeah. and then there's about a 15 minute window where you can taste it perfectly, and then it will drop off really quickly and become acidic, and when it tepid. gets colder and tepid, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, but the other thing is CO2 stays in solution better at cooler temps. That's why when you open a warm can of beer, you get foam, even if you didn't shake it, right? Mm. Um, or if you kind of shake a super chilled can, it won't foam up that much. Um, and you want the majority to stay in solution. That's why you were saying the blocking thing is Yeah, so you important. don't want it to go flat before the end. So that's why I tend to pour my, my styles a little colder and then let them come up to temp, especially in the summertime. I'll pour a little yeah. colder. Uh, but like cask ales and stuff, uh, those get served in the 50s. And I love that right. flavor. Look at the foam. Uh, that I've also had I beer at 36 degrees nice. is delicious too. Hey. Which one is this again? Same beer, same beer. Oh, really? I'm just, I just, but yeah, I keep my kegger, I keep my keyser at uh, 40 degrees. Okay. I mean, that makes sense because, like, uh, if you have a glass of beer, you want it to taste good throughout the life of the beer and you have to compromise at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's actually taste this beer now. We're just yeah. looking at it. <laughs> By so the, the way, we've step, been tasting oh, wait, we this beer. I'm, we've been just like, <laughs> we're two and a half They don't need to know in. that. There's no video. <laughs> okay. Uh, they, uh, the next step would be to smell the beer, the aroma, right? And there's different types. There's the long sniff, the short sniff, the close sniff. Like There's where you put your nose right in it and you kind of draw slowly. Mm-hmm. And then there's where you put your nose right in it and you do a quick short. Yep, there's the kind that Yanka just did, which is you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to actually snort the beer. Um, yep. But you know, your your olfactory is a, 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 a it's a series of tubes, uh, if you will, in your face. I and, will go and, on. <laughs> and you get you get different aromas based on those different things. Another thing to do with a very aromatic beer is if you hold it and cover it with your hand. Uh-huh. And kind of swirl, and if you're holding it with your uh, hold the glass with one hand and put your other hand on top, your body heat will kind of warm up the beer a little bit and trap some of those aromatics in there. And then you kind of put your nose and lift the hand after you know thirty seconds. Actually, that really worked. Yeah. Even just the ten seconds I did, you I got a like a full yeah. profile of the smell. Well, because it's actively gassing off, so you trapped some of those yeah uh, more volatile hop aromatics. That's the other thing. Hops are a very odiferous uh, plant, flower. Yeah. Um, oh, if you've never smelled hops, I remember when I was at your house, Johnny, uh, you had a bunch of hops in your freezer. And even smelling frozen hops, like you get your nose up yeah. there, it's like, oh, whew. Like, yeah. they're, they're actually pungent. a first cut. Co- they're a first cousin to cannabis. Um, oh, interesting. And they're, they're the only first cousins in that branch of whatever. I don't know genuses and stuff that well, unless it's, Philip's cousin ordered fish gut soup. That's all I have to say about genuses. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, that whole th- that old chestnut. Yeah. But you, so, um, yeah, they're actually first cousins, which makes sense. Cannabis is very stinky, and hops are very aromatic. So, it's actually the oils in hops that produce those aromatics, uh, and they're very volatile, which means they 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 don't last very long. Yeah. Um, so that's so an IPA to get that, but they also give you your bitterness. So it has to do with when you use them in the process. So since they're oil based, they won't go into solution in your beer, which is ninety something percent water, yeah. by just throwing them in there because oil and water famously don't mix. Yeah. We all know that. Um, so to you won't get any of that bitterness by just throwing hops in your beer. You have to get have them isomerization is the term and it's where you boil you throw them in the boil and that high heat breaks them down so that they can go into solution Mm -hmm. and then they come across as bitterness so that's a reason why you always boil your well not always but why you almost always 99 percent of the time people are boiling their wort uh or boiling their beers part of the process it's not just to clean it and sanitize it which is important but it's also that's when you add your hops it also makes your house smell amazing right amazing Mm -hmm. but it takes about an hour to get like full utilization of your hops after that it's diminishing returns you know you've gotten like 80 something percent utilization out of them and then the second hour you get like up to like 82 percent so it's like it's not really right most boils are about an hour but Um, it's it's not even like you necessarily want to extract 100 percent from your hops i know with coffee the magic number is around 20 percent at when you extract 20 percent of the soluble material in the coffee bean that's perfect. And anything more than that, you start to get off flavors that mm-hmm. that don't yeah. add to your, you know, 
balance of yeah, flavor. Yeah, so so that's the other thing too. It's a it's a plant, so we don't want to leave it in there forever. It'll just it'll start rotting like a rotten flower. So you throw it in the boil, and that's where you get your bitterness from. But that's not where you get this wonderful aromatic hop smell you're, that's coming off this glass. Okay, that's you get that from dry hopping, which is a confusing term. But that's when the beer is <laughs> pretty much done. Yeah, I would, so we do our we we do our mash right. We do our boil, then we cool the wort down, which you got to do quickly. It's another reason I'll tell you later. Uh, you got to cool the wort down, then you add your yeast. Then the yeast does its job. It could take a few days, a few weeks, and pretty much when it's done or almost done with that process, that's when you throw a whole boatload of hops into the fermenter, and they kind of just cold steep like a like a tea yeah. leaf, and that's where the oils get extracted. Uh-huh. Um, and that's why you don't get that bitterness. You just get that nice, rich aroma. That's where that silky, oily mouthfeel from IPAs on your tongue come from, that nice, soft smoothness. Those are those hop oils. Uh, so it's very much you, a wet hop, even though it's called a dry hop. Well, wet hop is when you use... Dry hop is when they use the little pelletized hops because it's a plant. So they chop them up and press them into pellets oh, and vacuum seal them. Right. So they'll last all year. So they're a dried form of hops. Wet hop is where you use oh. the cones, usually picked the same day and throw them right into the... I see. I totally had a misunderstanding in my mind then. I thought like yeah. wet hop was when you throw them in the boil and dry hop was when they're not... No. Those are those are called boil hops. That part makes sense. Oh, okay. Or bittering hops. Yeah, wet hopping is is and dry hopping have to do with how the hops have been processed. They're pretty much at it. They both get wet. It's going in beer, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a confusing... But beer developed over centuries. Different cultures came up with different things to contribute. So it's got a lot of weird terms like that. Um, yeah. that are, you know, specific and like we use a different scale than, uh, the English used to use. We use Play-Doh. They use specific gravity. And then they were using a scale called balling for alcohol levels. And it's just, it's a weird thing in beer. Um, yeah. but yeah, so that's where this aroma and how would you describe the aroma in this beer? See, I don't have the language to it. I've definitely um, it's okay. don't have have the language. I mean, Yanka definitely has less language than I do, but I I feel like I have bad beer language still, <laughs> even though I've been drinking it for for ten years, uh, very passionately. Let me see. I don't know with IPAs. Like the first thing I say is it smells like flowers. But I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I yeah. I smell some kind of like piney kind of vibe too. Okay, um, so there's another cool thing about hops is they, uh, they're very dependent on where you grow them to get those smells to develop. I mean, think about cannabis. There's so many different types. Same thing with hops. Uh, but I can take a hop that is really like flower, floral, you said. Yeah. And it, it's really floral. Like, let's say it's from Oregon. They grow it here, and it's got that really floral smell. If you take that hop and go plant it in New York State, you might get a totally different smell. If you take it and plant it in New Zealand, you'll get a totally different profile, yeah. um, even though it's the same genetics. And uh, so that that's a cool thing about it. But you're right. Floral and... Did you say fruity? No. I said piney, I think. Um, piney? Okay. Um, so that's those are the three real descriptors for New World or American hops. And most of the hops in America come from the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Uh, it's just the weather here. They grow really well. But American hops are defined by their floral, kind of fruity, and piney character. If you go over to, to Europe, like English hops, they tend to be much more earthy. Hmm. Um, you know, um, yeah. I think like English brown ales. And if you have ever had a traditional English IPA, it, their dry hops are very Yeah, we had one in, in London. London. 
Would you say that matches yeah. up somewhat um, analogous to the old world, new world, like wine categorization? Um. Well, no, because it's it's different. Even like German hops and Czech hops. Czech hops are, tend to be more like spicy and like peppery. Oh, okay, so it's more even uh, specific to specific specific mm-hmm. regions. Okay. Yeah, like like New Zealand hops are different than Australian, um, and they have to grow in a certain band though. Uh, I think it's like 40 to 45 degrees latitude, but same for both hemispheres. So yeah. you can grow hops in Oregon and New Zealand more easily than, you know, Florida. Sure. Or Southern California, which you would think is closer, but you need a very specific climate, soil, everything. Hops are really hard to grow. They take a lot of water and a lot of care. But yeah, uh, this beard's Columbus and Cascade, I, I believe I looked up before, are the two main hops. They're from up here, Pacific Northwest. Cascade is one of my favorites. It's a very classic American um, uh, craft hop. Yeah. It's got that. It can be either really floral or a little fruity, depending on how it was grown. And But mostly, it's a it's very floral hop. Uh, for people who don't know, you can actually just go on Google and, and, and type in like a hop plant, and you can see the actual plant that these things are. I didn't realize this, even though I was into beer. I had to actually realize maybe like five years ago that like hops are plants and they, they form these beautiful little flowers. You've probably even seen the, the hop flower on a label of yep. some kind mm-hmm. as a decoration. You might have seen there. them growing outside of breweries, depending on where you live. Yeah. A lot of them out here have them grown up the sides of the buildings. But yeah, they look like little green, they look like pine cones made out of leaves. Yeah. Pretty yes. much. They're, They're tiny really little pretty, green pine cones. And if you ever take one and crack it open, there's this sort of yellow powder in there. And that's the called the lupulin powder. And that's where all the oh, nice yeah. aromatics hang out. And that's like those cryo hops. You you see the cryo beer or whatever they, is yeah. the new craze. That's where they basically process the hops to get all that powder off of it so you don't get any of the vegetal leaf matter just the so lupin can, powder just the lupin it's basically like hash from hops you know right right hash is made by getting the powder off of cannabis and mushing it into and processing it into hash uh it's basically hop keef i think i think i've had hop. a lupulin lupulin beer uh, mm-hmm. from other half at, at some point in the past probably yeah I don't think, I think it gets overused, the ingredient. I don't think people have figured out how to use it well yet, really, but that's that's a whole other episode. So we're tasting it, right? We smelled it. Yeah. Yep. Do we taste it yet? No, we smelled it. Let's taste it. <laughs> All right. Let me take another sip. This is my first sip of beer for the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> now, another great thing about beer tasting over wine tasting is you're not supposed to spit out beer. I mean, you can, some people do if they're doing, like, testing a lot of different beers, but because of that carbonation effect, you get more taste uh, from from the gassing off as it you know in the back of the throat, the, right, in your, right? From your olfactory, from as the, you the swallow carbonation. it. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to swallow it to get the full effect of it. Um, and another great thing about beer and carbonation is the carbonation kind of scrubs your tongue, your palate a little bit. Um, so like that's why a really light, high carbonated beer is great with hot wings. Because you, you eat a hot, spicy wing that is arguably too much flavor at once, like a right. spicy barbecue wing. Like, it's sweet, it's spicy, it's physically hot, it's got that meaty, it's greasy, it's breaded, all these stuff at once. And then you take a nice cold sip, and it kind of, cl- like, scrubs your palate with those bubbles. Yeah. They yeah, literally yeah. will scrub the spiciness off. And then 
it sets you up and you go, I kind of want to burn my mouth again on another hot wing. I'm ready so to go. That nice, yeah. that nice speed balling that, yeah, yeah, you know, that makes a meal great. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tasted it, right? And what, what do we get taste-wise from it? You want to let it touch all parts of your tongue and, uh, yeah, and swallow and, you know, exhale a little bit. I definitely get the, the first hit is the carbonation, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then you get that kind of floral, the smell, you know, um, impacts the taste a lot, right? Those floral yeah. hoppy, yeah. You, you taste it too. You get that nice smoothness I was talking about from those hop oils. It's not dry or stringent at all on the tongue. It's just nice and glides right over into the back of the throat. Yeah, the oils for sure. I've been getting into making old fashions recently, and I always finish by squirting the citrus rind and getting the oil mm. on top, and you get yeah. that same kind of oily, like almost like mm-hmm. it's like an encasing for the flavor you're about to taste. It's just like the the sort of context that your brain can wrap around the the flavors that are about to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about like how to label. I'm sure bitter is not the right word. It's probably like an insulting word, is it? I don't know. But how no, no. do you label that bitterness? Like, do you call it bitterness? Is that a bad yeah, thing? Yeah, that's, to and then it's, it's, it's that there's that after, after the sweetness from those caramel malts kind of wash away, you get this lingering bitterness on yeah. the tongue, right? And I yes. really enjoy it, but I wasn't sure if it's like not something that. Yeah. If, if it's just you so enjoying the pain of bitterness. <laughs> No, you are. That's <laughs> yeah. bit, that's what I was talking about. That's why you have to add the hops during the boil. If we didn't add any in the boil and we only did the dry hop, you would not have that bitterness. It would just be very sweet mm-hmm. from those caramelly malt and then mm-hmm. the hop smells. But it it would be unbalanced because it it would it, it it you need that bitterness. The bitterness is the backbone of this of this style. Yes, um, and it's it it's why beer is such an acquired taste most people don't enjoy their first beer because it's super bitter and bitterness in general is bad in nature like animals don't like bitterness yeah. and sourness like give your dog a lemon and watch what happens you know because <laughs> uh, it usually means something poisonous like yeah. uh certain metals heavy metals and like uh, alkal- alkaloids and things can be really bitter uh, like arsenic, I think is is bitter. Like certain, like naturally forming cyanide, like a lot of poisons are. So we are naturally designed to not like that flavor. Yeah. Um. So you have to sort of go against your training, your your evolutionary training to build up that appreciation for bitterness. Definitely. Which is I used to say on my beer tours too. I tell people so next time your wine friends complain that the beer is too bitter, you tell them their palates aren't as evolved as yours. <laughs> Uh, and then, no, no, and then that watch them take the whole that with cool vibe of the beer culture. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, they, the, the wine fans take it with grace and humility. They don't get upset or anything, indignant. <laughs> yeah, because I get a lot of pleasure uh, no, I, from that bitterness. <laughs> like the more I explore, especially the IPAs, mm-hmm. I mean, I was just not yeah. sure if it's the wrong language to use to call someone. No, in fact, they measure it in the amount of these. Al- it's called alpha acids, or what give you your bitterness that dissolve into the the boil kettle are measured in what are called IBUs, which stand for international bittering units. I, oh, so that's what IBU mm-hmm. is. I've seen that before. I didn't realize that. <laughs> no, uh, nobody knows what they are. Um, I, I, when I bartended and like people would see them on the menu, like I, I've heard people say everything wrong. Like their friend would be like, what's an IBU? And the, their other friend would just confidently be like, Oh, that's the alcohol level. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or they, people would be like, 
oh, what are the IBUs on this beer? Like, I, I, I need, it has to be at least this much or I'm not going to be interested. And that would bother me too because it's like, well, if I have a low IBU but very low sweetness from my malt, it's going to be in balance. If I have really high IBUs without that balance, it's going to be awful. So people will be like, oh, it's got to be a high IBU. It's kind of meaningless, you know? Yeah. Well, any, like any one dimension is to meaningless, right? You need, you need the well, whole thing. Like yeah. Yeah, it's like saying my steaks have to be huge. It's like, well, they, it, should, it should be cooked well. Like, you shouldn't, well, yeah. no, it's got to be 17 inches across or I'm not eating the steak. It's like, this is, makes no yeah. sense to use that. That's metric. a dimension that doesn't make sense by itself. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I think um, with this beer, I, I think I love it now. If I were to taste it, if I were to go back in time and give it to my 21 year old self, I don't think I would have mm -hmm. liked this beer. I found no. this beer actually in San Francisco. I was at a two-week uh, Bach festival there, staying in this house by myself, beautiful house, and Trader Joe's was right across the street, and they carried this beer. And I probably went through two six-packs of this over the two weeks, and it was the classic, like, I had one beer, I was tired from the whole day of, like, busyness, and I would get sleepy after the one beer, Every day as I'm on the way home, I'd be like, oh, I, I can't wait to crack open that Racer 5. And and it's kind of like imprinted a, a sort of memory to that like um, relaxing at the end of the day. Uh, it's it sort of emotionally like imprinted in my brain that way. But I guarantee you, if you gave that to me when I first started beer, I would have been like, this is disgusting. Hmm. So bitter. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like the those beers that we think of as once you do dive down the craft beer rabbit hole, people think of Bud Lights and Miller Lights and Coors Lights as like flavorless, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, those are just, it's piss water. I've heard people call them all. And I'm only going back to the big three just because that's what most people know about beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't spend that much time thinking about macro beer, uh, but whatever. Uh, so those beers though, if you gave, like I remember having my first one of them at like 16, 17, and I thought it was super bitter, right? Right. Like, even, like there's even, still something yeah. beery about it yeah. to the uninitiated that's like, whoa, what is this? That I'm this like I'm used to sodas out of a can. This isn't what that tastes like. Yeah. And uh but you, you yeah, you get used to it to now that if I gave you a warm like and and that's the other thing, cores brags cold as the Rockies. That's so that you don't taste it. <laughs> and you don't taste that. Yeah, you have to let that, those beers get flat and warm up to room temp to get any of that hop bitterness to notice it. And then you're like, oh, there it is. Like I can taste it a little bit because there's so little malt in it. They put so little bitterness sure. in yeah. it because it's got to be balanced. It's all about balance. But if you have seven cores light, as cold as the Rockies, you'll be happy. I guess <laughs> you'll be great. You'll be crushing it. <laughs> I mean, it's important not to not to get judgmental about like the the beer. You know what I mean? Like that's a, definitely a thing I've. Um, when I first was getting into craft beer and I brought specific beer to a party, people would be like, oh, like, oh, Luke's showing up with uh, his special beer. He can't just have our Heineken or something. And I'd be like, fuck off. Like, give me a Heineken. I'll drink it. Like, that's not the point. I'm not being judgmental. I just happened to enjoy this beer more where I could have three we of these. We know how you feel about Heineken, Luke. <laughs> um on, on, on the on the question of like brewing and designing recipes and all of that stuff, whether it's home brewing or for a actual brewery, would you say brewing mm -hmm. is more of a science, more of a craft, or more of an art, or some kind of blend of all three? 
Well, I would say it's to to relate it for you. I would say it's like music. It's it's definitely there's an art to it, and that's where the skill lies. But if you don't have the background rooted in the hard science of it, you're limiting yourself, yeah. right? Like, you know, you could just even a prodigy if they just pick up an instrument and are amazing at it, like they should still study and train and, and do all that, right? Yeah, the difference um, between to, the conservatory trained person and the I taught myself at home, you know, how to play jazz or something. Right, but even like even like Mozart got traditionally trained on how to write. Yeah, yeah. Like he, I, I know, I know he used to. From what I know about like writing for like a big orchestra, is you write all the parts, right? Like the, there's yeah. The, you know, you have your highs, mids, lows, just to keep it simple, because this is a beer cast, not a music cast. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, your flutes are up here high, and you have to line them up with the drums and the, the tubas and everything so that it's it's in harmony. And I think it was Mozart that he would write, he would just be able to write a whole line. Like, he would write the violin part, and then he would write the flute part, and then he would write, like, he could do it that way because he heard the rest of it. Yeah, he had the whole so big he didn't picture to, in his mind as he wrote. He didn't have to write each one out to see where it went, but he knew that's how it worked before he could, like, abandon that style of doing it and do it his own way. Yeah. So, I, I would say it's the same thing for, you know, like, a, a good brewer who's done it long enough. They know what an IPA recipe looks like. Yes, so, yes, yes. But they can also play with it and say, I'm going to use this ingredient that no one's ever put in an IPA because I, I, you know, understand the structure of it and how it works. So the phrase you just said, I'm going to play with it. I think that's where the art, the art lies, right? The, the craft is in the, I know what an IPA is and what standards I have to do in the chemistry, blah, blah, blah. The art is in that, that randomness that you allow into the process. That sort of like in cocktails, you know how they say three dashes of bitters. Mm -hmm. Guess what a dash is. It's just yeah. It's very it's it's the subjective feeling of making a dash come out of the dash bottle, and they've actually measured that and said, okay, we got the top guy in the world to like do dashes, and we figured out it's exactly like forty one dashes equals one ounce of bitters. It's like great. Yeah. Am I supposed? What am I supposed to do behind the bar with that knowledge? Like I'm just gonna go one, two, three, and do it by feel. So there's always this element of randomness or just you know. Um, lack of control, I think, that is involved in art. You know, you have all your structure, your recipe, your science, and then something you have to throw well, in to take a risk. I would say for beer, it's more the structure is in, like, the actual day of. Like, when you sit down to write the recipe, like, your decisions have to be made. Like, that's, sorry, that's when you do the fun. When you get to the brew day, like, you know exactly how much of each you're putting in, uh -huh. you know? And then you're just following what you've come up with, basically. Right. Yeah. When you sit down to write it, you're like, you know, this guy has a bunch of blueberries, and we have these hops that I think would complement that well. How do I make this work? Mm -hmm. And, like, that's the playing part. But then you run all the numbers, and it, it works. That's the cool thing about beer, though. Like, you can, there are metrics like music, like you can say whether something's in tune or not, but whether it's good or not is very subjective, right? right? You can be perfectly like in tune and not good. 
you're you're perfectly on tune. Your tempo is perfect. Everyone's in, but it's just not a good piece of music. Yeah. Like you can have a beer that's perfectly, you know, crystal clear and perfectly made, and the lab says it's great. There's no bacteria. There's no uh, contamination or infection, and it's a shitty beer. Like right. that's just a, a subjective thing. And there could be a beer that goes, no, this is a perfect beer, and you could say, no, I think it's shit. Right. And and so, like that's. And we all know that too. Like if you advertise a beer right. to me and said, oh, it came back from the laboratory with pristine like results. I'd be like, yeah, how does it taste though? So? Tell me as a human. Yeah, like, I'd be like, it's like, yeah, I, there's wild ales that would get, like make all the lights start flashing because it's just full of funky bacteria <laughs> and stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And it's like, or, or sour, sour beer. Like, there's one of the oldest beer like writings is from Egypt. And it's, it's like a, a toast, like a cheers kind of a blessing. And it was something like, uh, may your bread always rise and your beer never turn sour. Uh huh. And it's because yeast is not, not something you could control that well in ancient Egypt. Right. So it was like, I hope those go well for you as uncontrollable things. But now there's breweries that specifically only make sour beer because that's what people want. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas before it was something like, oh man, it went sour. As a, as like, a negative oh, thing. Yeah. Because it just happened. Because you weren't, it's some, not something you could control, so you didn't want it. Now that we can control it and sour things precisely, it's a flavor uh, people seek out. So it's like, that's what makes it a good, what makes a beer a good beer too. Do people love it? Then that's why Miller High Life's a great beer. Yes, Who doesn't exactly. love that beer? I mean, that's the same it's with music. Wings. Like how does music evolve and styles of music right. evolve? And uh, there, there will eventually be a category of beer that emerges as a distinct category that doesn't exist right now. The question is, who will oh, yeah. take the, the risk? Hazy to was discover the latest, it? I think. Right? What, what the hazy? Hazies were yeah. considered bad. Like go, totally. for, going back hundreds of years, people were trying to make clear. It's from when glasses became common, like a few hundred years ago, a couple hundred. Yeah. Cl- clear, getting beer as clear as possible was the arms race. Right. And then all of a sudden, like 20, 10 years ago, not even twenty, like ten years ago, it switched, and everyone was just the haze craze. It was called. Everyone wanted hazy beers. See what I love which, about that is is um humans are just weird we we set rules and we think they're real rules and then when we are so- weird we love bitter <laughs> you killing us why 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 does yanka love how bit- bitterness i do too yeah. um i mean we we burn things and inhale the smoke on purpose for the effects of it yeah it's true. or just because it feels nice like hookah you're not even getting high from it people just like to breathe smoke it's oh, true. like why i mean yeah, yanka I grew, grew up in hookah. istanbul so she knows all about hookah yeah Right, and the, like it's just it can't be great for you, really. Oh, for sure. Smoke. Enough. Yeah, but... I mean, I started when I was like thirteen to smoke hookah, and then I <laughs> <laughs> am not proud of that. I think. It was just there, though. Yeah, it was a different. Now time. there's COVID, so I'm a little worried. But then anyway. you also started sm- uh, smoking beer, drinking beer when you were thirteen That's or fourteen, true, probably. Because yeah. in Istanbul, well, sm- they don't ID you; they're just like, yeah. "Oh, business here, yeah." Lovely. Have some beer. Yeah, prohibition really fucked us up in how we approach alcohol. Yeah, I mean, twenty. Yeah, I like, we so. treat it. We treat it like a drug in this country. We don't treat it like we, we treat it like an illicit drug. We don't treat it like a like the social, communal, societal thing it should be, and it is in a lot of places. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there's no but, doubt that that there can be all the careful measures about oh, if you're predisposed to, to alcoholism, you should be careful and all of that. But I feel like if the culture respected it more as something beautiful well, it, to yeah, bond it's us it's how together. you learn to drink, though. Like, Yanka, you probably learned 
having a little bit of wine at dinner or something yeah, with the my family, right? Like thought I that's, was ready when I was 13 or 14. Yeah, that's thinking. like that's not as common in America and if the kid is trying wine, it's it's a sneaky thing. It's yeah, they yeah. know that they're, it's something they shouldn't do. Take a sip yeah. of my glass, yeah. And then when you get to the competitive teenage years where like at least with young males you're trying to outcompete each other in everything you're doing cuz the hormones just kick that drive mm-hmm. off mm-hmm. is drinking is one of them and where do young american males learn to drink where do we learn to drink garages <laughs> yeah yeah what house I mean, parties where the parents aren't home like the worst environments for this like whereas in europe and other places you can go into the pub at 16 17 18 and have a beer and if you start acting like the idiot you are at that age <laughs> the community will police you the 40 year old yeah. sitting exactly. at the bar or, or like you is will not gonna face the consequences you'll have to carry yourself to home like when you're 15 yeah. like if you're wasted done you know don't do that well again. not even that you i'm just saying it. like the 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 adult at the bar who's had five four beers five beers and isn't wasted and you've had two and you're bumping into him he's gonna t- make you look like a fool like yeah. ideally not beat you up but he's gonna embarrass you in front of your peers and teach you like oh i should get better at this like you know and, and that's just not how it is in america we learn to drink secretly you know, in backyards and secretively and then we go off to college where it's a full-on competition and by the time you're in your mid-20s you either have an alcohol problem or you don't we like, go off it's, to college where the game well is hey Here's a pyramid scheme where you go into high levels of debt. You don't really learn much and you become an alcoholic. Like, have fun. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, those things can still happen, but there's a better way for the society. For Yeah, I think I mean, so. 21 is such an old age. That's for sure. Like, if you're really waited until 21. It is drink, an interesting choice. I haven't thought yeah. deeply about it, but I feel like I don't understand why it's 21. The chances that are that you're going to abuse it because it's such an old age to finally like do something yeah, legally. The first, yeah. The first times I went into a bar at like 21, sure. Uh, and was able to sit down and have a beer. <laughs> like, you know, I, I did not have, I didn't know how to act in a bar. I mean, I, I was fine probably, but like you just, you don't know. You just go in thinking like I'm hot shit. Like I've done this. I've drank 20 beers with my buddies in a, in an alley yeah, 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 yeah. and it's like yeah but you were falling down and and like a mess and you weren't nearly as interesting as you thought you are now you're surrounded by strangers <laughs> yeah, yeah. who all are going to pick up on that who aren't drinking the same rate as you yeah and that's why 21 year olds are the worst fucking customer right <laughs> like I, I like i used to hate bartending and people would come in and, and and honestly the guy whose 21st birthday it was they were usually okay it was their friends who were like 21 and a half who thought they were the big shot yeah. the veteran ex- with experience who were throwing up in the bathroom yeah let me show you how to have seven milkshake ipas at eight percent yeah and it's know? like dude yeah it's like you've been here twice before like don't act so yeah. like your friend like oh yeah i know they all know me here like i i got this it's like yeah, nope um, yeah. actually done. that we're- gets into my uh uh a few i have a few bonus questions to finish us off here but the first one was since you've worked as a bartender in breweries like what have you noticed what have you learned about human beings from being behind the bar um i've gotten really good at pretending to be interested <laughs> i love the no, center. Like, like i've gotten really good at at people like even uncomfortable people, if you can get them talking about themselves or if you can find out what they're interested in and get them going, they assume you're interested in it or that you have something in common. <laughs> um, and, and like that was an easy skill. I also have learned to not argue with people. Like I've gotten very good at not arguing because when someone's been drinking, like it's, it's best to just take their beer away. 
Right, uh-huh. right, like, right, right. Not, you don't want to have a conversation. Listen, you need to hand me that beer. I think you've had too much. Like that's you're just in, inviting an escalation. I got very good at de-escalating. Right. And yeah. Even people who regulars who, you know, like were normal, like normal people that I would hang out with and have a beer, and they, you know, they 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 didn't overdo it, or even if they did, they handled themselves fine. And, but every now and then they just had a bad night or they had a bad day and then they have more than they should have. And now it's an issue. And, you know, you got to figure out how to get them home or they're just being aggressive with you. And then, you know, they don't come by for a few weeks and then they come back and things are normal again. Like I just learned that like people are, I don't know, there's more, there's more of a formula to people than I used to think. I used to think it was more random, but like they find their routines. Yeah. Also, I don't believe in doing last call anymore. If I owned a bar, I would get rid of last call. It's dumb because either you do last call, what, 30, 15 minutes before you close, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes usually. If somebody doesn't realize you're closing in a half hour and you tell them They're and they decide drunk. to get another beer, <laughs> yeah, they probably don't need that beer. Yeah. Uh, and if, you know, if they did want another beer and they were like, they're just hanging out and they're sipping them. Like you don't want to give them a beer, and then you're closing now, and they have half a beer left. Because now then that's you see a them grab their keys out of your out of their pocket, and you're like, "Wait a second, why did you yeah, just chug thing. another really beer before shove, you drive?" Yeah, if you if you've been here drinking all night, I don't need to shove another beer down your throat. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's one of your the hardest jobs of being a bartender, right? Is to to find that line between anybody, especially with beer, with craft beer, anyone can do that. Yeah. It's pulling a tap. It's just learning when to turn the glass. Yeah. Like. Anyone can pour the beer. It's being able to talk to people and being able to handle problems. Yeah. Like, what's the worst know, problem would, you had to deal with? Um, I mean, I've had people threaten to hit me and threaten to fight me, mm-hmm. threaten to come back with their friends and beat me up, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Luckily, they were guy, too drunk to accomplish that, probably, if they were doing that, right? Yeah, this guy was falling asleep at his seat. I'm pretty sure he was on pills or heroin or something. And the bartender I was working with, she was young and not as experienced. And like he came up and ordered one beer and he was fine. And he sat down and, and like halfway through that beer, whatever he took started to kick in and you could see it. And I told her, I was like, yeah, we got to cut him off. Like, don't give him another beer. Yeah. And she said, okay. And then he came back up like, you know, like this more than he should have been wobbly from one beer. And, uh, she gave him another fucking beer. Uh-huh. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, well, you know, he only had one and I'm not going to give him a third one. And I was like, I said, don't give him another one. Yeah. She's like, yeah. And I was like, you feared that. She feared that confrontation more than the repercussions of hmm. what's going to happen. Right, right. You know, of giving him She'd the She'd rather beer. that and guy so fall to into the toilet than tell him, no, crack, you can't get it. Crack his head open, and now it's a mess. Or he throws an empty glass at a customer. So I went and took his beer away, and he started yelling at me. And I, I was like, here. And so I, I used to do this, too. I just give him their money back. Yeah. I go, here's your money. You got a free beer out of us, but you got to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he kept threatening me. <laughs> yeah. And then we were actually and, at the and brewery. Like, I always de- try to deescalate, but as soon as he, I was like, yeah, sorry, you got to go, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, full of shit, man. You suck. You suck. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Totally, yeah. And he goes, Whatever. he goes, I should fucking hit you. As soon as he said that, I, I came back at him and I went, all right, get the fuck out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Puffed up and I got in his face. I was like, you can't talk to me like that in my fucking bar. Get out and don't ever come back. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm going. I'm going. I'm like, yeah, you better fucking go. And I said, and he came back like a week later and apologized oh. to the manager. He was just me. in a bad place. Uh-huh. Yeah. He was in a bad place. I mean, we found out later he was a heroin addict. I think his wife had died like the year before or something. And so like the guy was in a tough place, but it doesn't matter. Like I'm not going to. I mean, yeah. you have to I mean, have a line as a bartender. Right. Yeah. 
we just we were sitting at the brewery um, two nights ago in our town, and some guy, instead of coming in through the proper uh, channel they made where they figure out where can you sit that's socially distanced and you have to have a mask mm -hmm. on and all of that, they just came under the, the, the makeshift fence that they made and they didn't have a mask and they went in and bought a beer and they came out and she was like, wait, where did you come from? Like, you didn't come, like, blah, blah, blah. And he just said, like, fuck off, bitch. And she was yeah. like, that's it. You're, you're done. You gotta go. You're out. And you're he's done. like, are you kidding me? I just bought this beer and don't care. I don't care. And then at the end, he's like, well, if you're not going to give me my money back, I'm taking my beer. She's like, yeah, go ahead and walk right onto Main Street with your beer. See what happens. <laughs> Have fun. You know, <laughs> like, well, I've had to do that where I've, I, I, Actually, that's the craziest story. I'll tell it quickly. But like, I've had to tell people, if you get in that car right now, I'm calling the cops and I'll take my phone out. and be like, I'm going to watch your license plate as you drive away and yeah. good luck getting home before they find you. Like, right. Because otherwise, you know? if they crash, isn't it like legal? Isn't there some legal connection? It depends to on the state. Yeah, yeah. But in most states, it's on the server who physically yeah. gave them the alcohol, not the business, which is fucked up because a lot I of businesses will, will push to overserve and put the liability on a minimum wage employee. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's screwed up. Yeah. But so I had a guy show up and he's an older guy. He had an Escalade, a big white Escalade. So I was like, okay, the guy's got some money or whatever. He came in. He's fine. He had one beer. You know, he was fine. He was laughing, meeting the regulars. He, I poured him a second beer. Halfway through the second beer, he started doing the, the teeter, uh -oh. you know, <laughs> the wo weeble wobble. And I was like, what's going on? And then he like, he leaned back and almost fell backwards and grabbed the bar. And he tried to order another beer and I, and I gave him a water instead. I was like, you need to have a water. That's the other thing. People that adamant that they needed another beer, you slow them down first because you're yeah. like, I can't, I don't want to kick you out and have you drive away, but I'm not giving you another beer. So I would get, say, have a water first, and then if you're, then we'll give you a beer out because sometimes they're being drunks and they just want to get drunk, and sometimes you know you just you you're just in the moment. You are genuine getting drunk miscalculation. But you, sometimes you're just thirsty. You're like, I need something to drink. Give me a beer. And it's like, have a bottle of water. And then they chug the water. And like, okay, I actually feel a little nauseous and I'm not thirsty. So yeah. maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> like, sometimes it worked. Yeah. And people would be like, thanks for the water. I'm going to hang out. Can I have another one? Yeah. And then I'll go. And it's like, all right, yeah. You've, it's been an hour. You're probably okay. Now. Signal <laughs> has been received. <laughs> yeah. And, and some of the regulars, when you'd say, I think you should have a water, they'd be like, oh, I don't want to overstep here. This is my favorite bar. This is my yeah. neighborhood bar. Like, okay, don't want to piss off the bartender. Like, I'll have my water. I'll be all right. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they just know. They're like, I want to keep drinking here, so I'll keep it together. Oh, I did have three beers in an hour. Yeah. Three IPAs yeah. in an hour. <laughs> Maybe I will have a water. Or or they'd be like, you know, I'm going to get something to eat from the food truck. And then a couple hours would go by, and they like, can I get one more? And they go, okay, sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, there's a weird soft but, strength that you have to have as a bartender, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a guy who, this guy, and he starts calling me by the wrong name. I introduced myself, and he started calling me Steve. And I was like, that's not my name. And like, he's just like, his eyes aren't focusing or whatever. And I'm like, you got to have some water. And he's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I took his beer away. And then the other bartender, he tried to order a beer from. And we both agreed. We're like, he was getting worse, like by the minute. We're like, he can't leave. Yeah. Because he wants to leave because we wouldn't give him beer. And so she told him, she's like, you have to stay. We can't let you drive off right now. You need to finish your water. And then we'll talk about getting your ride home. And every time she turned to talk to someone, he tried to sneak towards the door. And she'd be like, hey sit back down like a child. The guy was in his sixties yeah, at least. And, and so like she, the bar got busy and he just bolted and ran out the front door. 
And so I went to him and I got him and I got him back into the bar to come inside. I was like, no, we're going to buy you a sandwich from the truck. And the food trucks would just give us food for a drunk customer. Yeah. Like, we needed something for this guy. They would just give it to us. And uh, while I was wrangling him, she looked in his car and saw he had a fifth of Crown Royal empty in the cup holder. So he chugged it right before walking in because he was fine when he walked in. And then that's that, that first beer on top of that just pushed everything along, you know, <laughs> and the crown Royal kicked in. Oh gosh, man. Uh, so he was wasted. We realized he was wasted if he drank that whole bottle. Um, and so he tried to sneak out to his car again. And I told him that speech. I was like, if you get in your car, I'm calling the police right now. Yeah. Like he was standing next to his car again, trying to fumble with his keys. I was like, you can't drive. I will call the cops and you will go to jail. And it's like, mm-hmm. it sounds like, Oh, you're being a dick to me. It's like, no, I'm trying to save you from your inevitable yeah. failure 10 minutes so, from now. So we said, we're calling you an Uber. He goes, oh, I live like 30 minutes away. Like, I'm not paying that. I'm like, we'll pay for it, okay? Like, the company set that up. We had an Uber account. And I was like, we'll pay you for it. Don't worry. You can come back and get your car tomorrow. And he's like, fine, fine. So we get the Uber. We put him in it. He leaves. And like, I just didn't trust the guy. So we're looking at it on the app because it is like a 30 minute drive. Like it was pretty way too far for him to drunk drive. You should never drunk drive, but like a 30, 40 minute drive on the highway when he was blasted like that. Yeah. It's not happening at night. Yeah. Um, so we look, he gets to the highway like five minutes from the brewery and I watch the car turn around and start coming back. And I go, this motherfucker, he's telling the Uber driver to take him back. And so he comes back. And I'm waiting at his car, and I go, you got to go. (laughs) Oh, sorry. No, I just forgot something. And he does it, and he tries it again, and he comes back even faster. And so I'm standing there, and I'm literally, I'm like, I'm calling 911 now. Like, I'm calling them, because blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, and I turn to the Uber driver, and I say, if you keep bringing him back here, I have to call 911. So you should just take him home, or you're going to have to wait for the police so you can fill out. You're going to be on the police You're going to be part of this whole (laughs) You can see the Uber driver's like, fuck. So... Like we, I follow the dot. I have to watch it while bartending. And we were busy. I had to keep looking at the iPad to make sure it was staying out on the highway and it got home. And then as soon as it gets dropped off, like within a few minutes, he starts calling the bar every minute. And we go, please hold because we have lines of customers. He'd hang up and call back. So the phone's just constantly ringing. And he's like, oh, that the guy, I left my stuff in his car. You got to tell him to come back and get me and take me back to the blah, blah, blah. Jesus. Like he's still trying to come back and get his car. And he's like, oh, I left my phone. I'm calling for my house phone. You got to get a hold of the guy. Like, I don't know who he is, blah, blah, blah. And you can't call the Uber driver. You can only message them and ask them to call you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, so we the, kept the doing The number that. is hidden. Yeah. Yeah. And so we kept doing that and be like, we think this guy, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're worried he was going to get another Uber and pick his car up that night. Like, after we left. or Like, I can't be in the parking lot watching his car all night. Yeah. yeah. So eventually the uber driver calls and he goes oh he thinks he left it in your car but he goes no that guy's fucking crazy he kept trying to throw his shit in the car and said wait here i'm gonna run inside and then i need you to take me back and the uber driver's trying to that's not how this works like the ride's done like you didn't pay for this ride (laughs) like you can't add another ride to not your account like so he said he would he would like kept he would be like oh no here and like threw his shit through the window of the car and then ran into the house. And he said, he's like, I'm not dealing with that guy. I took his stuff and put it on his mail in his mailbox and left and got the fuck out of there. And trying to explain to the guy on the phone, your shit's in your mailbox because the Uber driver didn't, he didn't get that. Yeah. <sighs> and he kept calling and calling and we ended up just blocking his number and then never saw him again. Oh, gosh. Uh-huh. But that was like a Wednesday night. That was one of the craziest <laughs> times I had to deal with. That's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's end on a, a, a more positive note than the darkness of of uh, of 
over drinking. <laughs> wasted Wednesday night humans. People. What's the best beer you've ever had? <sighs> the best beer I've ever had. Hmm, that's tough. I'm I can't go by taste. If you can't like have one best, just say whatever popped into your head. The as best I beer it. experience I ever had was probably the first time I made a good homebrew because it took like five to ten batches for it to not not good but to come out how i wanted mm -hmm. you know sure yeah like you might try to cook a dish and you're like well this isn't what i meant to make but it's good yeah. and in beer like i was saying so much of it's about control that when you try to make a beer taste a certain way and it comes out different it's disappointing you know right so it was probably the first time i got my amber ale right my sparge's delight which i still have brewed more than any other uh recipe i've made so you saved the that first recipe? recipe i wrote hmm? you saved that recipe and recreated it like a bunch of times yeah, I have I have it all written down. I think I've done it like eight or nine times now, uh, and I tweaked it a little bit each time. But there's a couple of major changes I did early on between batches, and it came out exactly what I wanted. It was good. It was delicious. It was the first. It was the first beer I made. I was comfortable sharing with people. Yeah, you know, uh, that that was probably my best. Yeah, that you get the oh, satisfaction. Geez, I sound like an ass. It's the beer I made. You what an had a say in how it comes out. You know, that's a really powerful thing to know that. Right. Oh, I chose to do this variable this way, and it came out exactly what I was aiming at. Yeah. So that that was probably. So let me just clarify: uh, you, the best beer you've ever had is your own beer. <laughs> I know what an ass. <laughs> It's not. I, I, I'm not saying I'm an amazing home brewer. No, no, I totally get what you mean. I'm no. just playing. Okay, yeah. I'm obviously yeah. meeting behind it. <laughs> like for example, if I got into roasting coffee, I could imagine a coffee brewed from coffee I roasted would be more meaningful than than buying from. Even some. if it's not the best you've ever had, it might be your most exciting, experience. most meaningful. So, yeah, 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 totally. So I'm gonna re. I, I'm re wording your question to make it easier to answer <laughs> for me and more self-promoting by saying it's the, beer, the most rewarding and, thing. and you could also say i've just had too much beers to even ascertain answering that question on the fly <laughs> i i forget what i was talking about i'm gonna end it uh, a fucked up joke here how family friendly is this podcast we could always put the explicit label on it <laughs> okay uh, he was asking me about, cause he's getting, I have a friend who I've recently gotten really into home brewing. His fiance hates me. He's spending way too much money uh -huh. on the hobby, <laughs> but he's gotten really into it lately and he's getting really good at it. And, uh, we start talking about sours and wild ales and he's like, I just can't really get into that. He's like, how do you like, he's like, and I was describing this one really funky farmhouse ale and he's like, how do you like that? And I was like, well, it's like, you know, they say. Like porn stars, like you need to punch them in the face for them to get aroused now because they've just done it all, right? And it's like I've drank so much beer, like you got to pump the gas, the vanilla type, uh, yeah. you know, like a professional porn star who's done ten thousand videos. Like I don't know, maybe, but probably not holding hands and like yeah, yeah. kissing a little bit. <laughs> some is sexy get lingerie up. picture is not enough. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, there's some ankle showing in this one. Like, no, you need to pump the gas a little for them. And it's like I've had so much beer. It's like, yeah, I love the weirder stuff now. You want to take more risks? Yeah. Yes. Yes. The weirder, funkier beers are or what I'm into, so. All right. Well, you don't have to <laughs> hang up, but I'm going to hit stop on the recording, so I'll okay. say thanks for coming on, and um, I'll see you in one second when I hit stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks for having me, guys. Peace. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. 
If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.